are listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Nikita Ramkisun, filling in for Caroline Penny. And today I'm joined by co-host Arya Lackey. Hello. Today we meet Robin DeCulture, a non-binary, politically charged, Afrocentric drag creature hailing from Columbus, Ohio. Their unique blend of punk rock and powerful stick-it-to-the-man message is packed into sometimes club kid, sometimes creature-like, but always glamorous aesthetic. And Robin is here today with us on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Welcome, Robin. Hello. Hey everyone, welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space with an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity, we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community. And by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse, we are able to elevate often marginalized voices. This is the Trans Narrative Podcast. And happy Pride. Happy Pride. What a great yeah. time to celebrate queerdom. Yes. Are you doing um, anything special for Pride, Robin? You know, trying to stay alive. Um, yep, that's all. I do that in more ways than one now, right? Um, we've got the allergies that are trying to kill us, and we've got uh, politicians and people. So it's a great time to be alive. Every oh. day that you're above ground, breathing air is spitting in the face of Republicans. So we all need to keep doing it. Yeah, you said breathing air, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm dying, but. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> the allergies are allergy in the season. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's really good to have you here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. And um, we've had so many really interesting people. And you're the first one that I can think of who's uh, had such a diverse artistic background, like in the music, in the drag scene. So, can you tell me how you came to? Uh, embody all of these diverse artistic kind of cultural aspects yeah well i um i'll start at five i guess um i grew up in christendom um i was in a church doing something before i can even remember at this point um i sang in the choir i was a mime i um administrative administered all of our sound ministry and lighting and visual aid um and then i went on to accept my calling into ministry and begin to preach uh uh and then at 16 i had this coming to jesus moment in a different type of way where i recognized that um i was at this intersection of i don't identify or or think like the rest of my fellow congregants. Um, and I don't think that I want to be here anymore, but I still want to do what uh, I fully believe that God is calling me to do. Um, and so I left 
traditional Christian church, and um, it actually was on an app called Jacked, um, which is like kind of the um, it, it's more geared towards black individuals, uh, more like the the mascot known as Grinder. Um, and on Jacked, I got this message randomly from this church, basically that was like uh, all of this information about inclusive inclusivity and affirming ministry, and then they closed out the message with saying our pastor, and it was um, what I knew at the time to be a masculine name, and our first gentleman, which was also a masculine name. Um, um, would love to have you. And I said, this is different. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to know of a ministry that is affirming and inclusive. It's another thing when the pastors and first family are also a part of the community. So I went to the church um, and instantly fell in love with what they were doing and um, really found this affirming and inclusive portion of, of Christendom that I knew existed already, but never um, had the experience to actually be within the moment. So um, after that, moved to Chicago and planted some churches, moved back to Columbus and did the same, um, and really recognized through all of that that um, I was kind of in this asylum place where uh, it was just me who was really trying to bring Christendom to the next level of understanding that we can't just say that it's okay to be gay, but it's not okay to do all the rest of these things that this book that was created thousands of years ago is talking about. Um, and nobody else was really on board with that. Um, and so I kind of came to this place where I didn't want to do church anymore at all. And um, I had a, a, a suicidal experience where, you know, I didn't want to, um, because this was the only thing that I've ever known in life. There was nothing else that um, I felt at the time would be beneficial for me to continue to go. So um I had that moment, but in that moment, I quickly realized that, you know what, I want to, uh, sorry, that distracted me. <laughs> um, I had that moment that I realized that I wanted to find what else there is. Other people have been in this situation before. I'm not the only one. Um, and that's where drag came in. And so uh, drag really started by getting me this demonic spirit that I had came to know that was um, trying to take over my life and wanting me to end it. Um, and instead of letting that happen, I decided to use that on stage and found this demonic punk rock club kid persona that um, really created what was Robin Banks and became Robin DeCulture. Long story. So <laughs> oh, that is so amazingly interesting. And I'm not familiar with the kind of the um, growing up in the US, as um, I said, I'm from South Africa. So, Aria, um, Aria Lackey, you may be able to uh, direct the conversation a little bit more in terms of growing up queer in the US. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think we have a little bit of. Uh, overlap in our experiences. Um, I also grew up in a very uh, conservative and very religious household. Uh, religion was all that I knew. Um, in my early teen years, I um, I based all of my goals and all of my life's purposes around my family's church. And when I first started to you know come of age where I could think for myself, I 
um, I really struggled with, okay, what do I do now? What's, what's my path in life? What are my goals? Because it was all so insulated and wrapped into this conservative Christian culture. Um, so I, I really admire people who move away from that and not only move away from that, but find something substantive to replace it with. Um, so congratulations to you, first of all. Uh, second, I'm very curious about your music. How would you describe the style to somebody who has a very surface level knowledge of like punk rock? Yeah, I think that also, for the most part, if you have a surface level knowledge, you know, of um, the My Chemical Romances of the World. Yeah. Um, huh? Yes, absolutely. The Five Finger Death Punches, like around the Paramours, these types of things are, are really where I'm... Um, where I was gaining most of my inspiration. Um, you know, it's been almost four years now, and I think that I've really evolved as an entertainer. Um, it's really funny that uh, my bio before going on stage used to say, uh, I, I was given the name, the demonic creature of the 614. Um, and so people still acknowledge me as that. And then um, I appear on stage as this glamorous Miss Ohio who's like uh, so far away from this demonic creature, which um, really fulfills a, a smile on my face. Love it. So I'm, I'm also curious. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of Ozzy Osbourne because I'm, I'm thinking of Ozzy and I'm thinking how he has this very like uh, this very dark, aesthetic very uh leans into the occult aspect of it and weirdly enough he is a devout christian <laughs> um so oh, i did not know that yeah he's um he's part of uh was the, the the main british church uh british anglican some something or other the church of england yeah the church of england yeah really <laughs> i was always so i was so surprised to learn that but um uh, point being how how do you view your your spirituality these days do you still consider yourself christian have you grown past that entirely um yeah that's, that's a, a, a really good question i don't have uh, a fleshed out answer to you know i um i i recently just became okay with um performing gospel numbers on stage um i during Black History Month, I did a song um, that really took me out of that comfort zone. And then um, I know we'll talk about this later, but um, I've really found a circle of friends who also do drag, but also have very similar upbringings um, within Black church specifically. Um, and we share this like shared trauma. Um, and one day we were just doing what we typically do, which is like listening to gospel music and mimicking those of our past um and then we had this idea of um robin you should create a church version of melanated um and i sat on that for a couple of weeks and we'll talk about melanated soon but um i sat on that for a couple of weeks and i decided that i think it was best um basically with the hands of my therapist therapy is important um she said you know, sometimes the only way to get through trauma is to actually relive it. Um, and that was not something that sit well with me at first. <laughs> um, but as I continued to go through this moment and then planned the show, um, having that experience with people who are also just like me, who have these upbringing and have these backgrounds and have been through similar traumas and similar things in the past, 
we were able to relive that in a moment that was inclusive and that was affirming and that loved us. Um, and I wished that, you know, we had those back in the day. Um, by no means am I the person who I was back then. And I don't think that religiously or, or doctrinally, um, I agree with most of the things of the past, but there was something about the music and those shared experiences that uh, continues to just resonate with me in life. So I don't know the answer to that question fully. Um, I know that I enjoy the music occasionally. <laughs> gotcha. Absolutely. And like, I feel, I feel like, especially people who have had religious trauma, um, it's really hard to reconnect with the structure of the church. Especially oh. how Christofascism is uh, permeating American society in such a big way right now. Do you think that uh, that is part of why you adopted this kind of demonic persona? No, so absolutely. Um, you know, in reality, it was a slap in the face to all of those who. I grew up with. Um, there were some at the time who were still following me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then to quickly see how they would fall off um, afterwards. It's much easier for you to leave me than for me to leave you, right? Because this is, that means that I'm fully removing myself um, out of my past. Um, and so it was easier for me to just watch them fall off instead of me removing myself from the situation um, to the point now that my mom, who is very much on my side and immediately left uh, the church when I came out, um, et cetera, is now like still has connections with some of those people. And she would say just recently, actually, she told me that someone passed, unfortunately. And I think like, I have no idea who this person is um, because I've fully removed these people from my life and it took a long time to get to there and uh but I, i'm glad of where i am and, and how far i've come uh, that's amazing because uh i mean as i said with the rise of christo fascism it's really important for voices to be heard that dissent against that and how does that come out in your music because punk is one of those genres that is very much against the system. Yeah, one more time with the question. How does that come out in your music? How does what, sorry? The kind of slap in the face of Christofascism. Yeah, you know, I, I don't do it as much as I used to. You, you look at my shirt, this used to be uh, me on a regular basis, um, a, a creature-like, fully galaxy type of look, um, horns, demonic, very, all of that. Um, as I've kind of grown within my drag career, I've swayed away from that slightly, but um, really the music choices, um, you know, I've done performances where um, I had to reach out to someone who I consider like my spiritual advisor um, and really had to ask like, is this a little too far? <laughs> um, I did a number at the very early portion of my career um, where I basically gave Mary an abortion on stage. Um, 
uh, no, I would never do something like that in the future. I, I've grown and, and learned that um, as someone who doesn't have a uterus, I shouldn't be giving someone an abortion. But um, back in the day, it was really one of those moments where I wanted to say, what would the world be? What would life be for Mary, for myself, if Jesus never existed? Um, and I, I really had to get some guidance from my spiritual advisor as to, is this a little much? Um, and it was much in a lot of different ways, but uh, I don't think in the way that I was actually, you know, planning the number out. I think I think we all kind of go through that when we are escaping um, religious trauma. I know I did. I I was more metal music than punk music, but um, when I I really I had a big Marilyn Manson phase because I looked but like such Andy. good times. I I so wish that we could uh, do Marilyn Manson music again but i know i wish i could the not person about marilyn manson that i know about yeah. marilyn manson. but you know <laughs> back back like a decade ago i would i would jam out to an antichrist superstar and being the the massive dork that i was i was like i felt like i was being bad i was feeling i was being rebellious um but i i can i can definitely relate to that sentiment um but i i wanted to ask too um i don't know if you know a punk band named anti-flag anti-flag it sounds familiar i i think they're i think they're a british punk band if i remember correctly um they um they're they there's a meme with them that's introduced me to them uh because it blew up recently and it was somebody commenting on twitter um turf is the new punk and the official page of anti-flag responded saying no the hell it's not um and that's yeah <laughs> the, uh it's fantastic band you don't know them you should check them out but um that kind of kind of leads me into a question um being that you're surrounded by like the like punk communities on the regular i feel like there's a contingency of like punk metal those kinds of things that have very overt anti-establishment aesthetics to them they have a certain contingents of people that gravitate towards them for that but are also like white nationalists or fascist types um and there's kind of this push and pull between the actual anti-establishment type people in those groups versus these posers <laughs> um yeah. have, have you had experience with that kind of thing and what do you think of it and how do you do how have you dealt with it yeah, I'd say I'm one of the lucky ones um, who have not had those experiences, but I know they exist. And, um, you know, I live in Ohio, um, which is um, very red outside of our, our little, the capital. Um, and even sometimes the capital can be very red here in Columbus. But um, we've had tons of experiences with these folks, but within, uh, for me, lucky, luckily, um I've never had those actual experiences. Gotcha. Good. <laughs> Lucky me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And just a, a quick uh, yes or no. Do you have uh, any connections with um, the skinheads, well, with shops and uh, any of the punk adjacent cultures? I do not. You know, I am bald, but uh, not a skinhead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because. Um, but there are a good couple of um, uh, shop groups around, and, and there is one that I know of in Ohio. So, yeah, and they're always bashing Nazis. Such a great world. Yeah. 
I mean, the fact that they have to. But now tell me about Miss Ohio. Yeah. Um, so first off, I uh, did a competition in 2019 called, uh, it was called Face Off Drag Race. Um, it was 14 weeks. Um, it was right before the pandemic when we did not know that this world was going to shut down. Um, so we started this competition um, and I ended up winning the competition. And um, someone who was very well known in the community, I think at like week nine of it, um, said you should really consider getting into pageantry and I was like that is like so far from what I want to be at the time I was you know just just demonic creature and um, pageantry was like kind of a part of the the world that I wanted to go against I wanted to be different um, and then as I won the competition and we went into a pandemic I um, met my well I knew them but I became closer to my now family fiance um, who was preparing for a, a pageant um, and as we now spent every waking minute together <laughs> stuck um, in each other's houses as they were creating their costumes and really preparing um, I became more interested in this art form and decided that maybe this is something that I might want to be a part of um, and so uh, Nina West who you might know she's She's kind of famous. Um, uh, I reached out to her and asked, how could I become a part of a system called Entertainer of the Year? Um, as Entertainer of the Year is focused specifically on creativity and not just the glamour and, and glitz of pageantry. It, it's focused on those who are, are looking to be creative. Um, and she won in 2008 before going to become the famous uh, person that we know today. Um, so she found connections. She got me uh, in board in 2021. I went down. I placed 10th out of 9th out of 13 contestants. Um, and on the national level, that was insane that my first pageant was on a national stage with people who have been doing this for <laughs> years. Um, and then I came back in 2022 uh, last year, and I I think I placed 13th out of 18. So I had this moment where I was like, is this actually something that I want to do since we're going backwards and not forward um, in our, our winning streak? Um, I came back to Ohio and saw that there was a system that um, – had made its return that is specifically for Ohio um, called Ohio All-Star, which was really created based off of the works of Entertainer of the Year. Um, so it's a creative system. Um, and I said, you know what? I think that pageantry is something that I want to do, but why not start at the state level? So um, I went up to Cleveland and did a prelim. I won that prelim, um, winning every category besides interview, which I lost by one point, um, uh, um, mm -hmm. but won every other category and then was Miss Cleveland All-Star, um, which then mm -hmm. was a prelim going into Ohio All-Star, which was in May of 2023. Um, I went up to Cleveland again. It was a two-day pageant, um, and I won every category possible um, with five contestants. So um, I now uh, have the lovely opportunity of being Miss Ohio All-Star. Um, at the time, I did not know if I wanted to be bearded in pageantry. It's not something that is typically 
heard of um, because quote women don't have beards or female so female illusionists shouldn't have them either um, and I proved that um, well first off women do have beards <laughs> secondly I'm not a woman third um, I can do whatever I want because this is a creative system and that's how we should um, be reflecting so here I am Miss Ohio Star. congratulations thank you I'm not a fan of pageantry, generally. <laughs> People, like, I know that my aunts used to stay up watching um, Miss World and Miss Universe and all of that, and I, I would just be like, why? Um, <laughs> but do you feel that there is a difference between the cisnormative and heteronormative pageantry that we see in Miss Universe and Miss World uh, as opposed to queer pageantry? Definitely and not. What are those? What are those differences, if there are any? Definitely not. Um, some would probably say that queer pageantry is worse uh, <laughs> because uh, you know we as queers, um, unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes, not always, take things to the extreme. Right? Sometimes it's good for us to take things to the extreme, and then there's those times like pageantry where. Um, we can be very cutthroat and and very in your face. You know, I've heard stories of um, the older generation and how they used to um, put shards of glass in your your makeup um, powders or would like roll marbles onto the stage when you're going out for for gown. Um, queer pageantry is probably worse, <laughs> um, but I think that's it's you know it. It, like every other community within our, our queerdom, um, is a community of itself, and you definitely form a bond and a, a, a support system with those who also have the same mindset, just as you do with those who, you know, have a, a queer upbringing, a Christian upbringing, and are now queer, right? Or um, are a punk rock uh, sector of, of, of queerdom. So, um, what I feel like is important, though, is that you find the system that is best for you. You know, there's obviously um, Gay America, which is is the system, which is basically just taken off of um, Miss America and made for for gay people, for queer people. Um, and then there's a system like EOI on the national level that is purely focused on creativity and, and wants you to be um, authentically yourself and, and entertain people as opposed to looking glorious, glamorous. And I do think that, especially with queer versions of whatever already exists between, uh, well, in heteronormative society, um, it it does feel sometimes like we're trying too hard. Do you get that feeling? Yes, um, in a lot of ways, whether it's financially when we're trying too hard, whether um you know, it's the thing about we as queers, we always are, are extra, right? We're going above and beyond. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's because we feel it's the only way we are able to be seen um, is if we go above and beyond, right? We have seen numerous times in society that um, when you're watching a TV show, right, you know that most of the times the person who's the queer on stage is like so extra and and 
out of the the norm of the rest of the cast and um that's how they cast us on purpose so that we are different and that we are seen as this over-the-top person and you know i'm thankful for those shows that sometimes show that we're just normal people who just so happen to be queer uh, <laughs> just like you just so happen to be whatever else I know I did some research recently on um, the representation of brown lesbians in mainstream media, and they're hardly any, um, obviously. And always the the love interest of the white lead, if there is a oh. person, a, a woman of color. And so, yeah, I was getting into like a reading of the L word, which was our only representation from the 90s into the 2000s, and it is so bad. <laughs> it is so so white centric um and also heteronormative in its acceptability of a, of a queer couple like there has to be one mask in one femme you know that kind of vibe i'm interested in how your drag persona fits into your punk persona that's a good question um that i am really figuring out so um Typically, uh, weed is my creative genius. Um, I don't know if we can talk about that here, but I think we're fine. <laughs> um, so Janelle Monet, first off, um, has been a incredible inspiration to my drag career. Um, I was Robin Banks when I first started drag. Um, and then I had a interaction in a patio with a well-known um, entertainer named Ursula Majors, who was on season one of, of Dragula, which is like the alternative or um, version of uh, Drag Race. Um, and she, I introduced myself. I said, I'm Robin Banks. And she said, wow, so you don't want to be unique at all? <laughs> um, and I, said, I didn't understand what she meant. And, you know, she went further and she said, I can name like, five different people who are also Robin Banks. Um, and as we're sitting here smoking our joints, um, I'm having this like internal panic of, oh shit, uh, <laughs> am I not like as creative and as ooh as I thought I was? Um, and I go back home and a couple of weeks passed and I'm getting really high one day um, and I'm listening to Django Jane and um, Janelle is talking about how she does it for the culture, how they do it for the culture. Um, and I say, oh, well, I do it for the culture too. <laughs> uh, and here we are as Robin to culture. Um, and kind of as I'm going through my trajectory of my drag career, I, I think that I'm getting to a point that uh, I would like to still remain Robin to culture, but I would like for them to be presented as two different things. So Robin is like this drag punk creature who um, is dark and demonic and then the culture is the host of melanated and is this like Nubian goddess um, who loves all things Afrocentric and um, is politically charged and, and all of that. So um, I think that answered the question. I went on a tangent, so. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Good. And I'm glad you brought up Melanated because that's where I want to focus next. Because uh, Melanated, being Melanated, is something that is so frowned upon. You know, it is 
for our skin. I mean, it's amazing. I love having melanin because I can stretch my eye to put on eyeliner, but that is pretty <laughs> much the only thing my melanin gives me. Hmm. So why did you start Melanated? Yeah, well, um, Melanated really started after not seeing anything else like it in my community. Um, I, I talk often about how my life has presented me the be the first. Um, there's a pastor in Denver, Colorado, who said the only reason why they um, are pastor was because none of the other people in the audience wanted to do it. Um, and so they felt that they had to be the first. Excuse me. So um, December of 2021, I approached my show director at District West, um, who's Virginia West, who's Nina West's mom, drag mom. Um, and I said, hey, I have this idea where I want to, during Black History Month, just during Black History Month, um, one day uh, to produce and host a show that only features Black music, um, Black entertainers, Black hosts, all of that, right? It'd be a fully black experience and it's nothing like what we currently have um in columbus um she said let's do it sis um and then she came back and she said i think it was maybe a week later as i was actually like going through this planning process she said sis why don't why are we just doing this for a day why don't we just do it for the entire month of february and i said oh my god that's not what I envisioned. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Um, she said, we'll come up with a name and let's get the ball rolling. So I'm getting high again. I'm going back. I'm listening to Django Jane. Um, and she says, yeah, we're all highly melanated. And there were, is where melanated came from. Um so we're doing the show four times in the month of February. The first show is happening. The next day I get a call um, and she's like, sis, we should be doing this at least once a month. And I said, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm just trying to get through the four weeks <laughs> that we're scheduling now. Um, and I said, you know what? After the experience, um, after the amount of people who are in my inbox or who came up to me after the show in tears or are in my inbox saying like, this is something that I've wanted to be a part of um, for a long time now. Thank you for, for doing this. Even if it's just for this month, I breathed in and I said, here we go. Let's be the first. And here we are. Um, a little over two years later, so um, oh, under two years later, so we just had Melanated Juneteenth and Pride edition yesterday with a <laughs> fully a fully sold out house um, where we're celebrating queerdom and being free ish um, for Juneteenth, um, as we know that we're not really free, um, yeah. but we're going to celebrate what we do have. Mm that's amazing because we really need spaces for BIPOC queer creators, for uh, BIPOC queer voices in general, and specifically in the US, uh, the Black queer community, because this is something that is severely lacking. So what is the 
response been and how has the black queer community in particular responded to it? Yeah, I, you know, every month I, I'm an overthinker. I'm a perfectionist, a perfectionist. Um, and so every month I'm, as I'm planning and getting my cast together and amping up the cast and preparing them for the show, I'm like, this is going to be the month where no one's going to show up, um, <laughs> where I'm going to get the call the next day that we made no money in bar sales and, hey, you should really consider stopping the show. That hasn't happened. <laughs> um, and I continue to get those messages of, hey, I didn't even know that this existed. Um, hey, I thank you that every month I know that I can come here and get my fix of something that um, I've been going through a lot this month. And I just really needed this experience to be around people who look and listen to the music and and together and just be able to have like you. Um, that's not something, especially in Columbus or in Ohio, that we get to experience often. You know, there are a lot of times where you're looking at show flyers and um, because most of the population is is white, we're told that um, there will be tons of white show, white only shows in Columbus or Ohio, or um, there'll be shows maybe where we have the token um, who is either black or, or Asian or uh, Hispanic, right? So, um, it's a amazing thing that we get to have three, four, seven people who are, are black um, in one show and they're being paid what they are worth and um, are able to fully be themselves on stage. You know, I think um, I've talked to some entertainers who are like, well, what's the limit, right? Like, how many times can I say the N word? Um, how many times? And I, you know, just busted wide open on stage and, and have these um, experiences that I would have if I was able to be free, which is not something that you're typically able to do. Like I've done shows where I've um, literally had to put myself in a box and couldn't be fully who I am because I wanted to make sure that I got paid um, rather by the bar or that I got tipped, right? Because there are times where the audience is just not vibing with what you're doing. And um, literally entertainers will come and say, well, like, what is the audience looking for? And like, these people are looking to see you being you. Um, you can go on stage and literally defecate Please don't. But uh, you can go on stage and defecate. Um, and these people will love you because I guess that's what you wanted to do today. Um, and I am honored that I was able to create an atmosphere where people know that they 130% can be themselves and that they're surrounded by love, acceptance, um, and that they're going to make some money uh because of it because we all need to exist under capitalism because <laughs> money is unfortunately very important yes and i find that it is so refreshing to have representation of my kind my culture my experience that is not through a white lens 
and telling those stories authentically is so, so important. So how does the idea of Melanated and creating those safe spaces intersectionality of telling a Black queer story? Um, really because of to reflect the times. Um, an artist isn't doing their job if they're not talking about the things that are actually happening within our community. Um, and in listening to that, I made it my duty that whenever something is happening or whenever I don't feel um, right, that I'm going to let that out on stage. I don't care who the audience is. Um, you know, I have a, I'm blessed enough to have a full-time job that pays all of my bills. Um, and that drag is not how I make my living. Drag pays for Robin, not for Shaquan, um, which is a great thing. But um, I have always said that I want it to be the face that people may smile people may be entertained um but you always leave with a message um even yesterday i did a show for a grand opening um of a creative studio here and um i did a mix of an 11 and a half minute mix <laughs> that um talks about wanting to be free and it starts with um the hills we climb um it goes into uh i wish that i could be free by nina simone and then it goes into an interview of where she's talking about what freedom means to her uh and then it goes into uh turning tables by janelle monet um and i'm holding up signs that says Stop killing us. Um, Black trans lives matter. Trans lives matter. Uh, I matter. Uh, and then the drag is not a crime. Um, and, you know, this audience of predominantly white people were coming to celebrate this grand opening. But here I am for 11 and a half minutes um, wishing that I was free. Um, because while you're here to celebrate, I'm here to remind you that uh, in a couple of days, Black folks will celebrate um, their freedom, in quotations, um, and that, you know, while you are free to celebrate and to be who you are, um, there are still moments where I'm worried to even leave my house. And then sometimes I'm worried to even go to bed because I think of people like Breonna Taylor who was just sleeping in their in her bed and uh, was met with, with police and unfortunately didn't even get out of her bed um, before she was dead. Um, so just to be alive uh, is a super, super, super fun experience. Yeah. Um, I like that you've talked a lot about intersectionality. Uh, I get the impression in certain queer spaces that there's an attitude among some of the more privileged groups that, well, I'm getting mine, so it doesn't matter what happens to everybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that be in the form of, you know, uh, white people talking down to black queer people in queer spaces, or whether it be 
uh, able-bodied people talking down to people with disabilities. It's it's a problem, and it doesn't. It seems like a problem that doesn't get mentioned as much as as it probably should, because um, there's also this pre prevalent attitude that well, we're all part of the queer community. We're all marginalized. We all struggle with the same thing, even when not all of us do struggle to the same extent. Yeah, you know, and we're seeing it currently with the wanting to remove the T from the LGBT, um, which absolutely makes no sense since the T is how, how we got here. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're seeing people who are like, well, you know, this portion of this marginalized community is different than us. Um, even yesterday, I, you know, I did a song called Black Like Me, um, uh, by Mickey Guyton and the song talks about it's a hard life on easy street all white these white picket fences as far as the eye can see but um, if you really want to see the struggle you should try being black like me um, and in the number after the number I like talked a little bit about being black um, and how um, I like talked about a portion of the song that I had cut out and had added my own portion. Um, Laquan McDonald, who was a young man in Chicago who uh, unfortunately passed in 2014, um, was walking away from police uh, and was met with 16 shots um, into his back. And he spun around and they continued to shoot him um, as he laid effortless on the ground. Um, and that really became my moment of where I realized that this is not something that is just affecting a certain portion of Black people. Um, I recognize my privilege. I know that, you know, growing up in Christendom and, and the life that I've lived and uh, the experiences that I've been able to have traveling all over the world and um, going to school and you know, living this upper middle class lifestyle have provided me some opportunities that um, I used to think um, I would never be in these type of predicaments. But when someone named Laquan, who is very close to Shaquan, um, is experiencing this moment, it really hit home in a, a way that I never thought that I would experience. Um, and so I had that moment where it was like, I could be next. Um, you know, that even though um, I don't, I'm not going to be put myself in a situation, right, where um, I might have to experience these times, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Your skin alone is a threat. Uh, and you just being who you are um, is a reason for you to die. Um, and so I was talking about that at the show. And then my co-host, um, who's Anissa Love, was Anissa Love yesterday. I rotate co-hosts every month. Um, she paused. She paused. And um, she said, I just have to say this. And she said at that moment that when I was talking about my trouble and speaking about my pain, that she looked around the room and she saw all of these white people and some black folks uh, who were not clapping. You know, when you when someone is telling you their trauma, when someone is telling you their pain, you acknowledge it. And the way you acknowledge it in this moment is by clapping. And to be in that moment that even at this show where we are celebrating Blackness, you've paid your entry fee, you've tipped these entertainers, we've reached the end of the show, um, and you still 
aren't recognizing the importance of acknowledging and seeing someone's hurt and pain um, really stood out and stuck out. So even if, you know, I, I believe that we, the question was, I went on a tangent again. Um, <laughs> I believe the question was, as we're surrounding, you know, these intersections and, and talking through um, how queerdom doesn't even fully accept or see um, the plight of the person who's literally standing right next to them. Um, just because we have this one thing that unites us in our queerdom doesn't mean that we should totally not think about or remove ourselves from the other things that are affecting those around us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, man, it was okay. And we can't, we can't support factionalism. I don't know. I don't know who gave Seabiscuit a joints, but some people are on their high horse, and we can't afford it. We are, we all need to have a united front when it comes to intersectionality. Yeah. Correct. One Absolutely. Because uh, South Africa is the femicide capital of the world, and the most targeted demographic are black trans women, and it was in oh, I think it was twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. A whole lot of black trans women had uh, a protest of um, the way in which Pride was done, the Pride March. And Johannesburg Pride is held in October. And lay down in the street during the march saying that black trans women are still the most targeted demographic. And the, the white people at the march stomped on their banners and stepped over them lying in the street. So you can see how there is absolute division there, that there's this lack of acknowledgement within our own community. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as activists, I mean, the the role of activist is kind of thrust upon us in a way. Like, even if you don't want to be an activist, our intersections of oppression make sure that we become activists at some point. And I want to ask you, is there a difference between Robin de Culture as an activist and Shaquan as activist? Yeah, um, you know, in reality, uh, I, I won't lie to you and say that Shaquan is quiet and um, Shaquan doesn't um, speak up, but Shaquan's voice um, comes through their artistry. Um, one of the uh, the main ways that I showcased my pain and and was on the front lines while I was on the front lines as Quan during you know the uh, uprising of, of 2020, it's Black Lives Matter and and George Floyd. Um, I did most of my activism and most of my work um, through my artistry through Robin. Um, whether it was being in, in digital drag shows and, and doing numbers that, you know, specifically related to my experience and, and what I was seeing literally as I was being maced uh, or, or having uh, bombs thrown at me. Um, or whether I was in person and while everyone else was celebrating pride, I was... Um, reflecting on the the life of of George Floyd, I um, one of the cool things about district is that we have this video wall, um, which can be a good or a bad thing. Um, and I sometimes tend to use it just to show um, remembering these moments. You know, yesterday I showed um, moments of the unfortunate 
uh, knee of of George Floyd and and Ahmaud Aubrey and and Laquan. Um, while I'm actively doing this number of talking about being black like me, right? It's it's one thing to hear it; it's another when you are seeing it again in the moment. Um, and I know that that can be triggering for some. And you know, I, I won't say that I I don't care about folks' triggers, but uh, might have moved on. These are things that. It, whether they're being publicized or not, are still actively happening within our community. Um, and those names aren't even getting mentioned anymore. Yeah. My mom, when I said that I may want to move to the States, my mom just looked at me and she shook her head and she said, firstly, it's election year next year. And secondly, don't become a hashtag. Which brings me to the 2024 election. How do you think the intersection between dragon activism and the current events can shape art form? Well, <laughs> I know um, that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Well, first we we must start by saying that drag is under attack, right? Um, we know that drag was banned um, in Tennessee. Um, some people came to their senses and realized that this is uh, goes against um, all of the laws that are in place. So yay us. Um, but there are still, I think Texas just banned drag as well. Um, you know, we've got um, the lovely Ron DeSantis in Florida who's running for president, um, which at this point, it's like, who's worse um, <laughs> on the Republican front of things? Is it is it DeSantis or is it Trump? And then to be quite frankly, I think to be quite frank, I think that DeSantis is worse than Trump. I think that, you know, DeSantis has more of a political background and knows how to make his way around more than Trump will ever. Um, and that Trump is uh, now seeing the... Uh, pain of his um the things that he's done in the past now come to light as he's now anita anita pardon um as his, his drag, <laughs> yeah, his drag queen persona yes. <laughs> like well 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 this is if it isn't the consequences of my own actions yeah that's crazy huh um so you know i think that the saints is on 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 the uh, republican side is is way more detrimental to um all of us than than trump will ever be and then um unfortunately as of now all we have is is good old joe um yeah who is 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 something um why why is the best case scenario joe biden yeah, I remember that SNL skit where they were going through all of the other potential choices and why um, that person wouldn't work, right? Like, um, would Hillary come back? And uh, they said Hillary would absolutely not come back because y'all didn't listen to her in the first place. Um, and so now you've got to deal with what you got. Hillary's living life um, as a far away from this but just close enough so that you all remember what you did um person and you know then you've got bernie sanders and it's like well bernie sanders is uh older than biden and um, yeah. then it was like kamala and then it was like well <laughs> the world is not ready for a black female president um so then they got to the moment where it was like 
I guess it's just Joe. And they just went insane uh, in thinking that, and this was like almost two years ago. And here we are and we see that um, for the most part, all we have is 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 uh, good old Joe. And I hope that things will change in the next couple of months. Um, we could have had Bernie. I'm still heartbroken. Yeah. Sorry, don't get me off on a tangent. <laughs> I miss Bernie. Someone needs to give him the fountain of youth so he can be 180 and, <laughs> and again in 2065. Please. I wish, but like at this point, I don't know if Bernie is even the best option for what um, where our world currently is. Um, what do you think of Mariana Williamson? I can't remember a lot of Mariana. I do remember her from the, if I remember correctly, she was in the running during our last election. Um, I can't, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember um, I, I, much um, of her platform. I generally like, I, I, I like Marion Williamson. I like her as a person. I think she, she seems like a very sweet person. Uh, I don't mm. know if you saw, ever saw her on, um, who's that conservative commentator? Dave Rubin. Uh, anyway, she went on some conservative talk show and she absolutely uh, obliterated the the talk show host. And I gained a lot of respect for her because she's very intelligent, very eloquent, very, very pleasant. Um, yeah, I like I have a soft spot for Marianne. I also have a soft I spot for to do some research. Gretchen uh, Whitmore. Who'd you say? I have oh, a okay. little bit of a soft spot for Gretchen Whitmore. I guess I'm behind. I have no idea what these people are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when it comes to the politics, I'm you know, sure and I think that's why it's also. I'm oh, sorry. Carry on. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say I think it's also why it's important that you know it doesn't seem like we've scheduled any type of debates on the Democratic side, and you know, yeah, it's, Republicans it's, have. It's assumed nobody of any merit is going to primary Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not the best idea, right? I think that um, Trump and Biden, if those are what it would come down to, that Biden would win. But I, I don't think that that is where it's going to come down to. And there's just way the, too many people on the Republican side. Yeah, I don't even know if it's going to be DeSantis. I just think that there's you know way too many people on the Republican side for us to just automatically assume that oh biden's our only hope we have to um we have to just go with him but my thing as especially as a, a communist as i am um voting in the u.s especially with the two-party system is not minimizing harm because you see it under biden's watch all of this is happening against the trans community all of this is happening against the drag community i mean roe v wade just, it, it's a year on since, like almost a year since Roe v. Wade was overturned. All of this under Biden's watch. And so I'm not a fan of the Democrats either, um, especially being from a third world country where everything is uh, kind of dictated by the West, you know, because of yeah. uh, political influence and, and colonial hangovers. So America. <laughs> yeah, America, right? <laughs> but it's it's so 
tentative. Like uh, our freedom hinges on the views of these people who are in that binary of Democrat Republican. Where do you see the the way in which our activism has to go in order to attain that that break from the binary? Um, you know, I, I wish I had an answer for that. I um, I don't by any means think that I do enough activism um, or that I am the one to um, spearhead the, the movement in any portion. Um, there are, are way more people who I am fully um, willing to turn that narrative over to who who have the ability to dedicate their lives to the cause um, and to be the activist that we actually need. Um, you know, I, I think that I am in a very peculiar place where um, I don't often want to be. I often go back and forth about my role in corporate America and really wish that Shaquan could live the lifestyle that they live um, without their role in corporate America um, so that I can fully be who I want to be and can be um, helping um, a lot more to get our people to a better place. Um, unfortunately, the way my life is set up is, um, for the most part, I I do what I do in, in terms of art and, and showcase the pain and, and listen and, you know, I'm attending events and a part of organizations that um, are all about getting us to the next level. Um, but I have to leave that work up to those who have dedicated their lives to doing that. That doesn't mean that I, you know, don't participate and, and don't help, but um, I know my limits, right? I know that for some, the front lines are, are where you belong. For some, um, you do what you can. And, and for some, you find your ways um, to be a part of the movement. And I think that I'm at the intersection of all three, um, depending on the day. Yeah, I get you, because uh, we have to pick our battles, right? Yeah. Do you have any advice for other Black queer artists who are looking to make a difference in their communities? Fuck the world uh, and do you. Um, you know, I learned um, years ago that I don't really care if people like what I do. I don't do it for you. Um, I do it for those who the only voice that they have is me. Um, for those people who will not or who are not comfortable or who are not okay with speaking up for themselves, I have no problem being that person for you. Um, because I wish that there was someone who was there for me to be that person. And because I have this platform, um, I refuse to not use my platform to bring more people like me to the forefront. Um, the analogy about, you know, if there's not a seat at the table, make one. Um, and sometimes you are the only person 
I am the only person who looks like me at the table, but I'd be damned if that continues as I have the seat. Um, and I've continued to see that happen in my life that, you know, I started in this place where it was just me. Um, and as years have gone on, you see how the table quickly changes to be reflective of all people instead of just your heteronormative or your cis white queer man. Yeah. I always say that, uh, you know, what's the point of fighting for the seat at the table when the table is on fire? So maybe we need to build our own. Yeah. yeah um, don't put the fire out. Just move away and go start your own. <laughs> yeah. And um, how can listeners support you? Well, um, you know, Melanie is always looking for sponsors, whether you're in Ohio or in Columbus um, or on the other side of the globe. Um, one of the cool things about the show is while the bar the bar supports us and gives us a show budget, um, I like to pay performers what they're worth. Um, and I'm not always able to do that with just the funds given by the bar. Um, so if you'd like to be supportive, whether it's financially or you've got some connections to um, We Love to Eat. <laughs> Uh, yesterday, we had cupcakes by a, a local uh, Black-owned bakery, well, baker in Columbus, um, which was super cool. Um, you know, we're always looking for ways there. Um, I'm always looking for resources and looking for funds to, to better our people. Um, so if you want to donate... <laughs> um, Venmo and Cash App is, is Shaq Throbin, just like the b-ball player um, S-R-O-B-Y-N S-H-A-Q-S-R-O-B-Y-N um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Robin H-A-I-L R-O-B-Y-N um, and Facebook at Robin Culture because Facebook doesn't like the culture Thank you Happy so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I've learned a lot today. And uh, so, yeah, I'd just like to thank you for joining us on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Again, I'm Nikita Ramkisun, and uh, this is Arya Lackey as well, joined by Robin De Culture. And this is on behalf of a, a group of passionate and dedicated activists and advocates and we hope that you enjoyed our conversation. I do, I definitely did. Um, and I hope you listeners enjoyed the conversation with Robin De Culture. If you want to learn more about our guest work, you can check out their websites and social media pages. And we want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether it's Apple, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. And remember the Trans Narrative Podcast we shift the trans narrative to a more inclusive and representative space with an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity. We explore a variety of topics related to the queer community by building an empathetic bond through shared conversation and meaningful discourse. We are able to elevate our we are able to elevate often marginalized voices to the forefront and educate here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Nikita Ramkisun signing off. Hey everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on June 10th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Nikita Ramkinson and Aria Lackey. Today's guest was Robin DeCulture. 
The Transnarrative Podcast was created by Caroline Finney. The Transnarrative Podcast was co-developed by Ariel Aki, Athena Vermakis, and Lucy Balzano. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Finney. Research provided by Athena Vermakis, Caroline Finney, and Mar Newell. Music provided by Gamma Skies titled Get Up Again. The music you hear now has been created and produced by Athena Promatkus. This episode of the Transnarrative Podcast was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarratives. If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.